millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called I Was Promised Carnage, but all I got was these lousy balloons. Thank you very much to Ross Chaplin on Twitter for suggesting that title. Runners-up was Angel. Looks like porridge is back on the menu, boys. And Matt G, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Yes, your enthusiasm overwhelms us all. But I don't know. People are talking about maybe this is the world's most boring race. But I mean, there were world's records set. For example, most espresso consumed during a single race. Yes, because they had nothing else to do, did they? Um, The Ferrari boys, the one-stop strategy. We'll certainly talk about that. It could easily have not been a one-stop race. And Matt, you know, I am normally very, very positive about Formula One. Like even even the supposedly dullest races on paper, I will try and get G'd up and excited about. However, I might have to concede on this occasion that that was quite a boring race. Yeah, yeah, I would I would tend to concur. Even even the brightest of spots really doesn't put a whole lot of extra excitement into it. Yeah, you can't have all races being spectacular. We've had some spectacular Bakus and it's still one step in the story of the season. Definitely lots to talk about though today, Matt. Yeah, there's loads. I mean, there's, well, let's face it. <laughs> there will always be things to talk about in a Formula One race because there will always be so many decision branches to examine. We're going to cover quite a lot today then. The Ferrari pace. Are Ferrari still faster? You're going to hear Matt Trumpets argue that the team that is 72 points behind in the championship and has lost all of the last four races is indeed the fastest car. We're going to have a look at where the real title fight is going to be in 2019. We'll argue about, is Baku actually a rubbish track? Where's Ricardo's head at? Renault's miserable season continues. Perez wins Formula B and more. But first, let me tell you, we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm also joined by... Karting extraordinaire, Alex Jeansy Van Jean, and of course making his 14th debut is Nick Numbers Alexander. All right, let's start with you, Jeansy. 
I I put it to you that this race proves that Baku is just like other street circuits. It's a rubbish racetrack. It's only ever made good by safety car incidents and people smashing into each other. On the surface of it, it's a bit Monaco-y. Uh, it's like a cross between Monaco and Adelaide uh, in that it is a procession unless you get safety cars. But what it does show is the absolute quality of the drivers. The fact that they can navigate themselves at ridiculous speeds. I mean, the highest speed I think I saw from Kimi Räikkönen today was 230 miles an hour down that back straight and still make it into a corner, breaking at 100 metres before a corner and missing a wall. That shows the absolute ability of these drivers. And that's what these tracks are about. Yes, okay, it makes, to be fair, overtaking here is quite simple with the big back straight. But what it does show is you can't make a mistake. Look at Daniel Ricciardo and and Kafia. We talk about how how an amazing overtaker Danny Danny Ricciardo is, yet he outbreaks himself into a corner and then reversed into Danny Fiat. But we won't talk about that just yet. Um, It's tracks like these that really, really show the class. And you can tell the difference between a high-level driver and a poor-level driver. Like when you get one guy who qualifies in Q3 and one guy who in the same car can't get out of Q1. So it really does give that big difference. Don't don't spoil my my next argument with Matt. Surely, uh, yes, of course, uh, that is a reference to Lance Stroll, who has a Q3 capable car and has yet to get out of Q1. Uh, but Jamesy, sticking with the track for a second, on board it does look mega exciting. I'm not saying it's not a test of skill, but at the end of the day, this is a sport and it's a bit of entertainment. First things first, in the cockpit, yeah, it looks pretty exciting, but on the TV, every corner kind of looks the same. I can I can never tell where where they are on the track and i can only kind of tell when they start putting their foot down isn't that that's right isn't it trumpets i've got i mean i struggled me and the boy struggled to know where they were fighting on the track uh, it's easy turn eight is the one with the cars in the wall <laughs> yeah, turn three is the one with people parked and spinning around and putting themselves right jeansy bingo i think it's like all circuits though um it hasn't been on that what is it the fourth year at this track matt nod at me if i'm right fourth year for this track you don't seem confident. Fourth year, third year, whatever. Um, and I think what you find is the longer you have, the longer you have a track on the circuit, on the calendar, um, the more you seem to learn the circuit. I know it quite well now because I've done hundreds of laps of it on F1 on the F1 game. But no, I agree with you. I can understand that every corner does it the same. But I can imagine if you were looking at Silverstone for the first time and you've never seen Silverstone before, all the corners have looked the same. It's all about knowledge. Yeah, but this is a section of of the track where, you know, there's a section of the track through the castle which is distinct and looks spectacular, but it is only about two car widths wide. It's in places just not appropriate for a modern F1 event. But you know where that is and that causes, and it's a really tricky part of the circuit to get right, but you know where that is. So your point before is kind of invalid because you're saying you don't know where which corner is which, but you do on that circuit. I actually think Singapore is worse for knowing where you are. Yeah, all street, circuit. all street circuits are terrible. Uh, but speaking of that castle section, Nick, uh, you're our resident Ferrari fan. That castle section did take a big old bite out of Charles Leclerc. Yeah, it took a, a big old bite out of Charles Leclerc, and it took a big old bite out of Robert Kubica uh, just before that as well. So in Q1... But they were... This is the same corner, but they had they had two very different crashes. So... Uh, 
Kubica clipped the inside wall on the left going into turn eight and then basically broke his suspension and launched himself into the wall. Uh, and then we saw that in Q2, Leclerc was in that same exact wall in the same exact kind of uh, orientation pointing of the car. But he did it in a very different way where he locked up uh, and thought that he might still be able to get it around the corner without bailing out. And then he kind of didn't make the corner or bail out and drove head on into the wall. The thing with Leclerc's incident, and it does show a bit of inexperience, is he'd already set his time. His time was good enough to get him through on those tires and he should have bailed out. The second that front left locked, bearing in mind they were his race tires, the second that locked, he should have been off the brakes, pointing it to the right to go down that slip road and come to a very gentle stop. But they um, were even if even if he'd made that corner while locking up, he'd have given himself a nasty flat spot on his race tires. Now he got brand new tires to start the race on, so it worked out brilliantly. Yeah, it worked out really well. Where did he finish? Did he beat Max? Oh no, he didn't. Oh, Matt, the marshals weren't the quickest marshals in the world. Another thing that got me going down this thought train of let's just hold F1 races. I don't know. Call me crazy on racing tracks instead of a random city with volunteers who, uh, thank goodness they're there and I'm sure they're doing the best job they can. They didn't seem set up for dealing with cars that had stranded themselves with qualifying lasting for 37 hours, I believe, over several sessions. And in fact, the F2 race as well only had about four or five racing laps. I managed to get my kids to sit down and watch the F2 race with me, but uh, Baku edition crane lifting uh, TV didn't quite hold their their attention. They were they were back to lemmings on their smartphones before I could say check out this one last lap at the end. Really, it didn't hold their attention. Lap up after lap behind the safety car, trying to keep temperatures in the tires for the inevitable restart that would be only half a lap long because somebody else drove into a wall. Yeah, and I did try to explain to them. I was explaining to them that you know the the tires and how critical they were Matt but believe it or not that didn't spark their interest uh, when they when they when the F2 cars when three of them just ended up pointed into a wall just like F F2 shaped darts into the corner of turn 3 my son went are they are they very good wouldn't would Brad beat these people <laughs> he was he was not <laughs> impressed at all uh, I think yeah. there's at least one he would be, yes. But qualifying in general was a, a complete mess from an admin point of view. And I think the main headline really is that uh, Williams had enough downforce to actually lift and disturb a manhole cover. That surprised everyone. Yeah, about that. The manhole cover had already been disturbed when Russell hit it, actually. I think it was uh, Leclerc going over it previously that rocked it loose and then he smashed it with the plank and launched it up into his chassis and left a rather expensive trail of carbon fiber behind him. So what you're saying is they can do it as long as someone loosens it for them. Basically, yeah. It's, it's like open this jar for me game. So let's go back because uh, we got diverted really away from, from Nick and his Ferrari fandom. Does this say to you, look, Vettel really, he still is the number one driver. We're right to back him because like like my son, I think he's bright and he shows me stuff on the computer. So I see his computer do something and I say, hey, kid, make it so that my computer also does that. You know, and I think, oh, wow, he's so smart. He's so grown up. But then every now and then he will just walk away from his computer still holding his mouse and like just pull the whole unit off of the counter. This is the moment we've looked at Leclerc and kind of gone, oh, yeah, no, I mean, he is still a pretty much a rookie. 
I uh, I guess I'm surprised that you don't have wireless mice, but that is neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I mean that that he's holding a wireless mouse in his hand. And okay, I, <laughs> what's your favorite kind of wireless mouse device? <laughs> come on, yeah. we were, come on. We were talking about you know things that are bad for Ferrari. This is this is your bread and butter. This is why you're here. Yeah. So um, I I don't think there's any arguing that. Charles' wounds was anything but self-inflicted. Um, and I, I thought it was very interesting just how hard on himself that he was. And I know that was kind of a, a big talking point around the social media sphere. Uh, you know, I'm so stupid. Sorry, guys. I'm so stupid over and over again, getting on Twitter, saying that he's useless. Um I know your original question goes back to being a number one driver. And mm-hmm. I think with a number one driver, maybe a bit more of a, a self-assured and confident personality might benefit him going forward. I I think, I know, Jeans, you didn't like those tweets, did you? You didn't like him being so self-deprecating. No, because as a driver, it doesn't matter whether it's your fault or not, especially in situations like that, you blame the car. <laughs> the have bad brakes, the brakes were glazed. Had an issue with the tires. I, I don't. I want to see my racing drivers as heroes, and going. Oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, I've made such a mistake. Oh, I'm so sorry. It just doesn't. And I like Charles. I really, really like him. But it just doesn't endear me to. Nick, there are plenty of examples of drivers doing the opposite, where we have ridiculed them endlessly. So at this track last year, Rogrub saying, "I think Ericsson hit us," or maybe it was his engineer that said his that. engineer. But then when uh, I forget where it was, when Max spun and said that he had gotten a hundred horsepower surge suddenly, <laughs> I mean, come on. So no, I'd rather that they were uh, honest at least. But well, I respect the excuses because it just adds the ever growing book of racing driver excuses, which is of course legendary. Um, I just, for someone who needs to fight against Seb, because Ferrari will put him in the back pocket if he doesn't, doesn't actually call the results out, regardless of cars breaking down and whatever, because he was quicker than said today. Everyone was quicker than said today. Um, but yeah, it just, it just irked me. It was like, come on, man, just, just say, okay, I made a mistake. Let's get on. We're going to, we're going to do well tomorrow. Well, see, at least Nick, to your Grosjean point, this time, as soon as a safety car came up, he didn't risk it. He just retired immediately as a precaution. <laughs> Right. Well, apparently his, uh, he had no brakes. He was just pushing his left foot right to the floor. Um, and that's not something uh, certainly that, that you want. Okay. Look, I don't mind seeing this side of Charles Leclerc. He is clearly beating himself up. He is very, very invested in his performance. Now, when you are a bit of a veteran, Matt, like you, you know that you're going to get hired because you're Matt Trumpets. So people are going to hire you for their concert. You know what you're doing. Even if you turn up at 80%, you're probably going to be fine. For a young person getting their first opportunity with no name, they know that every time they sit in the chair, it could be their last time. Like this could be Charles Leclerc's last season in F1. It's brutal. It happens with young drivers. He's so invested that when something goes wrong like that, he doesn't know how to kind of just own it and do what you guys suggest. He's just raw, passionately kind of going, damn, I've I've blown it. And he wants everyone to know I'm I'm owning this problem. So I I don't mind it at all. I think it's interesting uh, because on the one hand, a good performer always blames anyone but themselves when things go wrong in a performance. 
But on the other hand, a good team player always owns a mistake straight away so people don't waste time looking for problems that aren't there. And it's an inter- it's interesting to see him play it out like that. But I agree. I think the I like him owning the problem. I don't like the excessive drama about it, even if that's how he feels in his own head. But I think he and his publicist will probably figure that out as things go forward. Right. And uh, so just to finish up with qualifying, the the track kind of failed with qualifying. So it had manhole covers that you would hope would be welded down. <laughs> so they've obviously missed one at some point. Then they had to go and check all the rest of it. And was it in qualifying where they lifted the car up and they hit the bridge? Or was that in practice? That was in practice. That was straight after... Um, they were transporting um, George Russell's car from the said manhole destruction and then hit a bridge and then leaked hydraulic oil all over the car. Williams had a bad weekend and it all started with that drain cover and it just got worse. Right, but this isn't the first time we've seen this kind of an incident. A similar thing happened in 17 to Grosjean, or 16, in Malaysia. can't remember which year it was now. And they actually wound up suing to recover the money they lost uh, due to that. So anytime you have that many things to be welded down, there's always a chance that something will go wrong. And as tempting as it is to blame everything on Baku, uh, this is just a thing that happens from time to time on any circuit. A manhole cover nearly took Jensen Button's head off at Monaco, if you remember rightly. Okay. Um, Williams have come up in that conversation unavoidably. Here's what I'm going to do with Williams. Because look, we haven't even got to the, the race yet, but don't, don't worry. We will manage to get through all our race notes. The thing with Williams is they are just not turning up at the moment. So I've got a couple of things to say, but I'll start off by saying I am done personally talking about Williams now pretty much for the rest of the season. If any of you guys want to talk about Williams, absolutely fine. But I'm not going to weigh in because they just don't feel to me like they're in this competition. I, I don't know, Gene. I don't know why they turn up. Unless, I completely agree with you. Unless Williams start to do something decent, like anything less than actually finishing the last two cars on the road on merit, I'm, I'm done with Williams. And I'm a Williams fan, and it pains me, and it hurts. But I, I, they're not a race team at the moment. They need to sort their problems out and then come racing. Um, and they can go and do their testing and they can test at the back of the grid. But I'm not I'm not prepared to talk to them in, in race trim because they're not racing. See, Trumpets, how's this? Until they beat another car in qualifying on pace, i.e. that other car doesn't have an issue, until they are actually competing in qualifying, I, I'm not bothered discussing Williams at all. No, I think that seems reasonable. Um it's hard because they bring up other drama and political stories that are of interest to us. But in terms of them playing a part in the race, you could argue Kubica putting it in the wall made a big difference because it drove qualifying late, which meant the medium tires on Ferrari were colder, which put Leclerc into the wall, which drove it even later, which meant that Vettel ultimately perhaps didn't have the performance they would have seen because the track temps, interestingly, dropped 13 degrees over the course of that qualifying. And that's tremendous that's almost what we see at um abu dhabi or bahrain for example but if you the whole thing with vettel is he didn't get his first he messed up his first run almost doing the exact same thing that Kubica did he hit that wall on the on, on the left going into the castle he got away with it he was so lucky not to have the exact same fate um as Kubica as and as his teammate however if he had hit the wall it would have saved his teammate um 
But yeah, no, he, he didn't get his first run in. He, they were quick enough on the medium tyre to get that in. And that could have transformed Seb's race. But he didn't get the lap in. Well, Jeansy, I do hate to stay on the subject I was talking about, but uh, I will go back to it if you don't mind. Uh, so I got, there's a comment in the chat room from Derek saying, don't kick them when they're down. That is precisely what I'm I'm planning to do now because all we can say about them is negative it's so woeful it's beyond talking about it was kind of acceptable when it was three teams at the back who all joined they were that far off the pace and they were trying to catch up but this is an established team that has turned up with a car that is nowhere near as competitive the gap from them to the midfield it's like three times as much as the midfield to the top cars. And that's already a ginormous golf. Uh, so, yeah, that is why I'm not going to talk about them anymore, because I do want to stop kicking them while they're down. Matt? Yeah, no, I would agree. There's, there's not much to be said in terms of their performance until or unless they they right the ship. They start moving closer to the midfield. They're doing the best they can. And I think for the sake of the sport, we all hope they get it together before the end of the season. Uh, and the one, the last thing I'll say on the subject of Williams, it's not going to be popular, right? I wish Robert Kubica no ill will whatsoever. I've got absolutely no reason to not like the bloke. The story is fantastic. I've commented on the Joe shows. He seems like a really nice guy. So please don't take this as a personal attack on your favourite driver. But I think it was a mistake to put him in that car now. Um, and I think the evidence is building for that. It's not a coincidence. I've never really heard... This whole thing about, oh, I've got one car that's performing significantly worse than his teammates. Okay, it could happen, but it's happened in the car that happens to be Robert Kubica. He's clearly struggling around uh, those tighter circuits. Monaco's coming up soon. It was a great story, but as far as I'm concerned, I don't see what's going to happen. I don't see anything happening to make it turn around and go, oh, no, actually, yeah, he was just taking a few races to get into it. As far as I'm concerned, I think I think we, that has been shown to be a mistake now. And I am sorry, Robert Kubica fans, I love the story as well. Um, another story that we've argued about several times over the years, Matt, Lance Stroll now unarguably, without doubt, has a car that is capable of getting into Q3. In Australia, Q1 only, and we said, oh, yeah, but he was only a smidge off of Stroll and uh, these things happen. Twist of fate, gust of wind. Bahrain, Q1. China, Q1. Azerbaijan, Q1. Perez started this race in fifth place in the same car, Matt. The argument's over. Stroll is shocking. Well, he's shocking. However, do you know his average gap to Perez in Q1? What uh, the gap between? Sorry, are you asking me what's the gap between sixteenth uh, on the grid and fifth uh, on the grid? No, it's about no, ten in spots. In Q one, in Q one, when they both run in Q one, he's about three tenths off of Perez right now. It's his first year in the team, and if I'm going to be forced to defend him, as you've clearly put me in that position, what I will say is three tenths off is not that shocking, and his first year in the team also not that shocking. That's a car that has very much been tailored to suit. Sergio Perez, and it absolutely does. I think the gap was a so, bit bigger than that, to be fair. But I, I'm going to get your point. However, four races out of four, Perez has progressed and Stroll hasn't. I, I just say that he's slow to warm up, and before we completely toss him on the trash heap of history, which it is tempting to do. It is tempting to do. He has not performed up to the standards of someone like Ocon, for example. This is not a point that I would argue but I'm not sure we've seen him actually be able to get the optimum out of the car in qualifying. On the other hand, we can look at where he finished today 
and see that he actually did a pretty good job in the race. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, I'm he just going to go with more beat, complicated. Oh, he beat Perez in the race. Oh, right. Oh, I didn't. I missed that. When did he get? Where did he get by? On uh, that long finished, straight. He finished ninth in the race today. Oh, so behind is nine a bigger or smaller number than five? Or no, wherever it was, Perez number. finished. <laughs> Jeansy. The only person who made more places was Raikkonen. Right. Oh, right. Okay. Now you've triggered me. You've triggered me. The argument that Stroll makes up loads of places is a bad thing. <laughs> that is terrible. The reason he makes up places is because he's got a car that's capable of finishing best of the rest, as Perez did. Jeansy. Um, what is the show? I mean, he is a shocking qualifier, really, really bad qualifier. Um, and what was the stat he had the last couple of years? Makes up the most places on the first lap, mainly because he's been in the car with the most powerful engines. No wonder. Um, no, I, you, the whole thing was this year was his test against, against a proven top quality racing driver. And he has been shown wanting and he hasn't got the ability. And he's just about good enough to drive IndyCar. Do oh, you want to triple trigger Matt? Matt looks so upset right now. I'm not upset. I just, I'm... Disappointed? Amazed that you would simplify a very complicated subject by that magnitude. Look, it's his first year in the car. Most people move to a new team. You, It takes almost a season to really get on top of everything. And yeah, I would agree with you. In qualifying... He has never been the best outside that one time at Monza that no one can properly explain. But he's only three-tenths off. He's not six-tenths off. He's not eight-tenths off. He's not nine-tenths off in Q1. But. And, and, and in the races, he is at least driving up to the potential of the car. So, you know, it, it, again, I, I just see it as being more complicated and want to give him a little more, what, rope to hang himself with before I completely write him off as being complete, total, total, total waste of time and space. But three-tenths isn't enough when you've got Vettel, and sorry, Lewis and Bottas qualifying within a tenth of each other. The same for the Ferraris. Um, you know, you're seeing the gulf between Gasly and between Max Verstappen. You, when when the field is that close, when the field is that close, you can't um, have that much of a gap. He has to perform to the maximum of the car, and he's not. But he's in the back of the grid. They could have had fifth and sixth today. You know, I'm old. I'm slow. I forget stuff. But correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't we go through a whole period where Botas was over half a second off Lewis in qualifying for more than a few races in a row? And we ridiculed him massively for it. Okay. I'm going to weigh in here, finally get a word in edgewise. The gap is not relevant in, in quantitative terms. It's not a it's not a sliding scale. It's a binary thing. You either get in the Q2 or you don't. And he doesn't. And it can be half a tenth or three tenths or five tenths. And it's nine races in a row now. Um, and I don't know how much more rope you want to give him, but that's not good enough. It's a good point because for Perez, he knows he's in a top midfield car. Therefore, Q1 isn't do or die for him. Q1 is like the Mercs, but to a lesser extent, get the job done. Whereas Stroll is desperately fighting and clawing to actually get into Q2, which he's failed to do so far. Well done, Nick. I like you a little bit more now you've agreed with me. However, there was there was a race today, you know. (laughs) 
Jeansy's mouthing was there. But look, we've got a good community around Mr. Apex, so we still enjoyed the time. It's still a, a good couple of hours where they're the focus of everyone's world is Formula One. So I didn't have a bad time. I had a great time hanging out on Twitter and in our Patreon Slack group. You can support us by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex if you would really like to, and we'd appreciate it. Uh, you know, hanging out with each other on the WhatsApp chats as well, having the odd argument, having the odd debate. Still had a good time. It's still Formula One. There was a race, Matt. Would you mind telling us how the race was won and lost? Yes, absolutely. And normally, this is almost always the start of the race, but I think I have to hand the first important leverage point to turn eight and qualifying. Now because then. Not, not only did it mess up Kubica, not only did it run late and the temperature dropping mess up Ferrari, in my opinion, but it absolutely took what had been until that point the fastest driver of the weekend completely out and made him start, I think, eight, eighth after all the penalties were applied. Although with the benefit of a new set of medium tires to go long on, and they were clearly the better tire. And then the next one, obviously, Botas at the start undeniable his defense against Lewis who was remarkably respectful and deferential proved to be critical to the end of the race let's uh, let's go to Jeansy and see um, what did you think of that that early battle because Hamilton looked like he had the high ground he could have been a little ruder a little oh definitely I mean he was very very courteous to um to Bottas in those first few corners he could have run him right close up to the wall as I mean to be fair I was well impressed with Bottas to hang around the outside into T1 um and Lewis could have squeezed him right up against the wall and done a bit of a what he would have what he probably would have done to Nico Rosberg back <laughs> in the day and, and and literally pushed him off the apex but he didn't he played fair and to be fair apparently after the race he's had a bit of a wind at himself about that and said I was a bit too nice and I could have been a little bit more aggressive with him. But I think it was the right thing to do considering the circumstances, considering the trap, considering the fact they were in a position where they didn't think they'd be, which was one and two. Um, it was fantastic racing the pair of them because what was it? Side by side for three corners. Yeah. That was awesome. I, I was, I was on the edge of my seat. Um, and we can say that this race was a boring race, but there was lots going on. And as I've said a million times before, um, if you watch the live timing, there is so much going on. The, the saving grace of that race entirely was the fact that Bottas was able to hang on in that in that first lap because then at least we had what I think, Matt, was the slightly faster car-driver combination behind a slightly less fast driver-car combination. I think had Hamilton got ahead and disappeared, it would have been like fully properly a boring race. At least we had that intrigue for the lead. Yeah, I mean, uh, it gets to be so personal saying that driver one is faster than driver two when they're both on the same team and they're both being ordered about by their engineers. It's really difficult to know. Now, look. No, let me, no, no, let, no. You, let, you let, might, me, let me, though, no, if I may. Hamilton was faster today. That's. I think if you're going to argue otherwise, that's. it's a bit silly, but come on. I think Hamilton is a better and faster driver than Botas. But if they were both turned loose on absolute maximum engine mode with Botas in the lead, I don't know that Hamilton could get by him. How about that? Well, at the end, Gene Z, 
You know, did was Bottas managing that 0.8 gap? Yeah, I'll just give myself this 0.8 second cushion uh, all the way until we start lapping George Russell, then breathe a sigh of relief. I think it's clear that Hamilton had the pace to attack him. Siding with Matt a little bit, um, I think during the course of that race, we don't know how much Bottas was managing. Lewis kept on showing his showing his hand every so often, um, and Bottas didn't seem to respond. But did he need to respond? Um, and the good th- the thing for Bottas was he was quicker in that second part of the circuit where he always managed to get out of DRS just before the final straight. So was Bottas managing Lewis? Probably. Was Lewis quicker? Probably, but not by enough, as Matt says, to get past. So if Bottas was managing that pace, I think he would have at least kept Lewis out of the DRS zone. I, I don't think he was able to. I think he was on his limit towards the end of that race. He did keep him out of the DRS zone in the most important point. No, he, he had, had him. In, he, he he let him in DRS zone in the in the, in the first straight, where he can't get past him. But Lewis never got DRS on the back straight. Yes, he did. No, that's that's just incorrect. About lap forty-seven, forty-eight, he did get DRS down that long straight. DRS is where the flappy bit opens. Yeah, yeah. So that definitely happened, uh, Matt. Well, it was really just in the last two laps. Like you say, forty-seven, forty-eight. I'm thinking forty-eight, forty-nine, forty-nine, fifty where we saw that happening. And what was interesting about it, and what I think we're overlooking, is the power of the toe down that front straight. Lewis was using the toe to get close to Botas, but then Botas, through the snaky second sector, was escaping back to over a second. And he was very fortunate. He actually got DRS down the next to last lap on a back marker. But at the end of it all, Lewis is the one, and this is my third hinge of the race, if you will. It was Lewis's mistake in those last laps, going wide, catching the dust, that put an end to any chance he had to get Ron Botas. Now, did he make that mistake because he was trying to drive too fast? Or did he make that mistake because he's human like the rest of us? I don't know. But to me, the evidence is mixed. I think Hamilton is a faster driver. On the day, it's hard to argue because he didn't finish in front of Botas. Uh, yes, I get what you're saying, but I, I don't know. I don't know what race you were watching. To me, it was obvious that Hamilton could kind of close that gap at will and that Bottas would have left a longer gap if he could have done. However, the the back straight, the reason he wasn't able to challenge uh, Gene Z is I think the, the last left-hander before they go flat out for 25 seconds, Bottas was better than Hamilton all weekend. Hamilton was scruffy on the exit of that all weekend, including qualifying. And that corner is the most important corner on the circuit. Something like something I always I was having this conversation with somebody at the at the live event last week, um, where I was talking about think about what corners are the most important corners. And Lewis can be as quick as he wants through the bits that you can't overtake. But if you're crap through if you're poor through the um corner before the biggest straight on the entire circuit, and the guy in front of you is better through it, you're not going to catch them. And Lewis made two errors in those final stages going through that corner, and Bottas didn't. Um, <clears throat> over the course of a season, I think Lewis is the better driver, and I think Lewis will beat Bottas over the course of a season. However, there will be particular races like this where Bottas has a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of an edge in a particular point that causes Lewis a problem. No one's arguing that, that Bottas wasn't the, the better of the two over the course of the weekend and did the better job, Nick. Um, I know we pretty much universally here think that he couldn't challenge Lewis Hamilton over a full season head to head 
but on the weekends where he's on and he's at a track that he's strong, he's a formidable driver, wheel to wheel. We always see him racing hard and he's he's no stroll, is he? He is a proper he's a proper race driver. Yeah, he is no stroll. Um so I certainly hope that he can challenge Lewis over the course of the season. And I think that is really gonna be what the twenty nineteen season is all about. I don't see anybody else challenging Lewis so far this season. So if Valtteri doesn't do it, then nobody will. And it's going to be real bad. Um, We've definitely said before on the show a lot of times that not crashing and not running wide is, is very important. And him not doing that is great. We have not mentioned that Lewis lost two seconds under the virtual safety car because, so I think what happened and maybe someone knows more specifically but i think he hit the virtual safety car along the front straight and maybe valtteri was already around the first corner and so when you have to slow by 40 percent, 40 percent of 300 kilometers an hour is a lot more than 40 percent of matt ah genius! right that makes sense matt yeah well i was going to say if we're going to talk about these things let's also talk about the fact that botas got round leclerc and as hamilton caught him they hit the double yellows from the Fiat Ricciardo incident, which I'm being kind about calling an incident. It was pretty one way. Um, and that he had to spend basically the whole rest of the lap behind him. This also gave Botas about another two seconds advantage uh, when they came around onto the next lap. So this is not the only place that he lost time just due to the vagaries of the race gods. So I, I might like to vote for the maybe the Lewis was faster today thing, but um, all Valtteri can do is win. And that's what he did. So, but but the thing is, Nick, you're right because Valtteri Bottas is going to in 20 or 21 races. And I forget which uh, all season long, he's going to come up against a very, very fast driver. Who's probably faster than him on most days. That doesn't mean he can't win races and use racecraft like he did today. Uh, to fight off uh, the five-time world champion through three corners and then keep him behind you. But it was interesting watching the team orders coming through, wasn't it, Jeansy? Because clearly they wanted to manage that middle part of the medium tyre stint to make sure that they had tyres. But do you think that next time Lewis Hamilton will be, uh, yeah, great, I will save. Let me just, I've just got this one thing to do first, which is get past Valtteri and then I'll get right on that tyre management you were talking about. On your first point about having to deal with a faster driver, it would be very, very easy for Bottas to have got scared by Lewis in those first three corners today and gone, oh, I don't want to get an accident and back out and give Lewis the lead. So commendable to him. And when you talk about, yeah, Lewis, they did manage Lewis today. I definitely, there was mm-hmm. definitely calls over the radio, which is, yeah, you don't need to attack him now. You can, you can attack him in the last few laps. And Lewis listened. Yeah. And I remember the last time they gave Lewis those instructions was Monza when Nico was leading. And he said, no. And uh, Nico made lots of mistakes and Lewis got past him. Um, I, you know, Lewis will pick his races. Lewis knows that this isn't a strong track for him. He's not had the best luck here. Um, and to pull out the performance that he did on a track that's not strong for him, because he normally has weird races at tracks that aren't particularly strong for him. Um, was commendable. But to be fair, I'm not taking anything away from Bottas. Bottas did the job today that he needed to do. He got off the line, kept the lead, won the race. Good job from Bottas. So it 
it seems like Lewis has his own opinions about tires. Um, and so it's like a lot of times he's always questioning the the pit stop strategy or, you know, we may feel that he's whining, you know, say, oh, the rears are done, the rears are done. So I, I wonder if he didn't so much listen to his engineers about the tire management so much as happens to have agreed with their assessment about the tires. Yeah, well, I think if you look at the pace advantage that Leclerc had at the end of the race going for a fast lap versus those who'd been on that very long medium stent tire, you'd have to agree. It was a close run thing to get the mediums to go that far into the race. And uh, and he did have his chance at the end. They weren't kidding him about that at all. Yeah, it just turned out that his last chance was a bit compromised and he made mistakes. So I think both of his best chances, he ended up dropping out of the DRS zone because he was scruffy on the final turn before the flat out area, Nick. Yeah, and um, just thinking about the the tire saving a little bit more, two of the three first times that we had Baku, we had a safety car or indeed multiple safety cars. So um, you always kind of have to keep that in the back of your mind uh, as well, that you're going to want to have rubber left for a restart. And it's actually, I'm I'm personally very surprised that we didn't get any safety cars, given the way that practice and qualifying went. The odds of a safety car not coming was seven to one. And I looked at that and went, there's no point. You know, there's no point because there's definitely going to be a safety car. But Matt, more of my why this isn't a great track is that when you don't get a safety car, the threat of a safety car effectively stopped anybody going, well, let's use up these tires and then get back onto some softs because there could be a safety car any minute. You are absolutely right. And this is what killed Leclerc (laughs) and his race. Because Ferrari spent all that time going, oh, we'll certainly get a safety car. We must get a safety car. But let's remember, a safety car is a fictional thing. The reality is you're bleeding seconds. If he had until lap 23, lap 23, he could have switched tires and been out in front of Verstappen. He could have gone medium, medium, and then eight laps soft at the end. Had he done that, and this is like one of these hindsight is twenty twenty things, so just let me be clear about that. Had he done that, he would have been... For the virtual safety car that did occur, he would have had a nine-second pit stop and been on soft tires for for eight laps because there were two laps under the virtual safety car, nine laps max. And that that like that would have been a dream two-stop strategy for any team. Let's dig into more of these Ferrari tactics. But first, let's get a word from our sponsors. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many thanks to our listenership for supporting our sponsors and supporting Missed Apex in being an ad-supported podcast. Of course, our main our main thrust of support comes from patrons. We would have packed up shop in September were it not for our patrons. And we are able to do more things, keep going, keep growing because of that support. You are literally fueling us and you are our bosses. And if you want to join the 254 other bosses we have on patreon.com. Go to patreon.com forward slash missed apex and consider becoming a patron. We always see that as a one-way donation, but in return, we try to make things better for our patrons, don't we, Matt? We have a nice little waffle cast on a Monday afternoon. Yeah, we do. We try and provide extra content. We interact in the Slack channel. You insult me constantly there and think I don't see it. Damn, I didn't think you actually could read. Uh, I thought we went into different <laughs> enough channels. Um, but of course, yeah, it's a lot of fun there. That's a great community. Also, our waffle cast, we don't hold back stuff. We don't kind of go, oh, well, we'll go into more depth on the Ferrari strategy. If you want to know, you've got to go to the patron only podcast. It's not like that. It is just worse content where me and Matt are chatting in a bit more of a relaxed way and do invite some of the panel on as well sometimes. Patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex. I'd also like to point you to our new W Series podcast. Go to MrApexPodcast.com forward slash W Series. There is a race next Saturday on the 4th of May. I know there was a lot of politics and controversy around whether it should exist, but do you know what? It does. I'm very excited about it. I'm looking forward to sitting down with my kids next weekend to talk about it. Uh, to watch it, sorry. And then we'll talk about it on a podcast on Monday. We've already done our season preview. Matt, did you catch our season preview with the actual first reserve driver for the series, Sarah Bovey? Really, really gave us a great feel for the tracks and the cars, the other drivers and the competition. Uh, she was brilliant. And I, I hope we're able to get more people, more drivers from the series, more people from the series on to talk to them because the insight she brought to that was fantastic. And boy, I don't want to get into it too much but i'm just going to mention she talked an awful lot about how important sponsors and money and seat time is in creating this inequality that we've seen in motor racing at that level and you've talked about it too in terms of just the kids who get involved it's all tied together i think she made some fantastic points the gender issue is not the only thing that W Series is doing that no other series is doing there's some very exciting sporting and entry uh, criteria things that are going on there as well so mistapexpodcast.com forward slash w series and also they do some kind of electric remote control cars e-radio something like that no one listens nick can we be honest about the ferrari strategy with leclerc I know they were saying, oh, yeah, you got to stay out there because the softs won't last or maybe we're waiting for the safety car window. 
But let's be honest, they were sort of hoping that he was going to hold up the Mercs on the way through. Yeah, but it um, reminds me of a previous race this season where he did that and he stayed out even longer than that, if I recall correctly. So it's like, okay, he held him up. Now job done, get into the box. But then they still left him out to dry. Um, So they kind of left him in no man's land on strategy yet again. I think he is going to have to accept, isn't he, Matt? That he is, he's in an, his apprentice year in Ferrari and Vettel's the emperor. And that is just the way it's going to be this season. It's not going to please everybody out there in viewer land, but Ferrari think they know what they're doing. They do. And it may be, and I've seen it come up in the chat room that apparently Vettel might have been low on fuel near the end of the race. But when I look at. That's some some New York City noise there in the background, is it, Matt? Don't you worry about that. It's authentic. Uh, Please continue your point. Right. So when we talk about why would Ferrari not pursue an aggressive two-stop strategy to force Mercedes to peel off at least one driver to protect against it, the biggest single reason I can think of is, one, is it's going to put him on fresh, soft tires at the end of the race when it's colder, and it was easily 5C colder at the end of the race. The other is he might simply have not been fueled for that strategy. And now we're hearing Vettel might have been low on fuel. And then suddenly you're like, they were in a strategy box. They didn't have the tire performance to go long enough on the mediums. And they didn't have the fuel to run a proper two-stop either. Then it kind of makes sense what happened to him. And I will commend him on TV for being smart enough to say, you know, I'm really going to need to look at the data before I have any serious comment on why they didn't pit me. (laughs) Although they could have gone to the hard tire. It was there. That is some good PR management. You know, he's had that drummed into him, isn't it? Charles, Charles, you must learn this phrase. I must look more at the data before I comment. Uh, Jeansy. I I don't get the strategy for, for Ferrari today. They knew where he was starting. They knew what the situation was going to be. They knew he wouldn't be at the front in the first four or five or six laps. So why not go for that aggressive strategy? We haven't seen anyone do the aggressive strategy at the moment. I think it would be really good to see him go soft, uh, to go medium, soft, soft towards the end of the race. And I just think it would have worked. They could have, they could have, put more fuel in, not underfueled and expecting a safety car, and really, really gone for it. Because as Matt, as Matt said before, it would have forced both, if not one of the Mercedes, to make a different strategy call. Uh, and I actually think he could have been in it, because especially the way the race panned out today, if he'd had the pace on the soft tyres, he could have done it. And they put him on a two-stop anyway, because they wanted him to get past his lap. Right. Well, we know weight is important. And Russell in the chat room brings up the excellent point that they probably would have underfueled almost everybody because the chance of the safety car is so high at this particular circuit. And it may just be the numbers hadn't would not work out for them. But having said that, I will say that all of the top teams, all the teams in general, have a huge bias towards one stopping if at all possible. And I suspect that the algorithms they use when they run all these scenarios might unconsciously be biased in that direction because that's been what's worked in the past. Awesome. Mega. Ferrari Tactics, you're going to weigh in on this, Nick. Sure. I was just going to say, they seem to be so incredibly risk-averse to doing multiple pit stops just because of all the things that could possibly go wrong during a pit stop. You know, wheel doesn't get attached properly or gets stuck and won't come off or you drive over your mechanic and break his leg or whatever 
Um, so they just, yeah, they seem really averse to doing two stops. And yeah, like Spanner said, the, the odds on no safety car were, uh, seven to one. So yeah, you, it doesn't make sense with those kind of odds. Uh, I don't know how accurate they are to, to, uh, over fuel. All right, Matt, it's time. It's time because we've been having this argument for three seasons now. I, I feel like I finally won because you have insisted for the last two seasons that Ferrari have the fastest car. So we are four races into the 2019 season. Mercedes have had a 1-2 in four consecutive races. The first time that's ever been done since 1952 when Ferrari did it for six races in a row. No, I'm going with virtual F1 Statman, and that's what he tweeted. So I'm going with that. And uh, there's some other caveat that's in there as well. Uh, But an amazing achievement if we say in the turbo hybrid era as everyone loves to say <laughs> that is certainly an unprecedented amount of uh, success even for mercedes ferrari are 72 points behind without a race win without a second place i put it to you matt trumpet that that is because mercedes have a faster better car than ferrari well since you want to have this argument Let's be clear. Ferrari last year had a car that was easier to set up and was closer to its maximum performance on more circuits than Mercedes was. As the season developed, Mercedes clawed back that advantage. And in Singapore, we saw Ferrari bring an update that made their side of that equation worse. So it's natural to expect, given their testing performance at Barcelona, we would have seen a similar result this year. But what's of interest to me, and where I will differ with you slightly, by which I mean completely, is that we haven't yet, outside of the first 47 laps in Bahrain, we haven't really seen the best out of the Ferrari car that I believe still has a lot of potential locked up in it. So this is what we're arguing about based on Mm -hmm. four races out of a 21 race season. That I'm going to argue we've not seen the best out of Ferrari outside of that one race in Bahrain. And you could go with free practice on Friday this this week where Mercedes was nowhere, nowhere at all. And I will argue that's them underperforming. It seems like Ferrari are the diva this year, and they've not quite gotten on top of it yet. Ferrari are brilliant at getting the best out of the car when it matters the least. That's the way it's gone for me. Um, I think... You know, you, you you talk about, yeah, okay, we saw 47 laps of them being the best in Bahrain, but the race isn't 47 laps. The race is 60 laps or whatever it was. And as an engineering um, project, which is what Formula One is, you're, the whole point of the, of, the, uh, of the game is to engineer your car to get to the finish line first in, in one piece. And Ferrari are unable to do that at the moment. They're either fast and break down or they're slow and they get to the end. So that proves they don't have the best car. So, Nick, you're a computery guy, kind of, I guess. I don't know. You sound smart. So let's say that you turn up with a really good gaming computer and I have a slightly less good gaming computer. It's not as fast. The processor's not as good. Now, I can overclock my processor, can't I? I can make it run outside of the recommended parameters to go over your performance. If my computer then melts or blows up, 
did I have the best computer all along? It's just that, ah, uh, if only it hadn't blown up and melted. Yeah. Um, no, I'm totally with you on the whole Ferrari not having the fastest car argument. And it's, it's very similar to the way that I, that I feel about Stroll not getting out of Q1, that it's, it's a binary thing. Either you win the race against Mercedes or you don't and you are 0 for 4. So your car is not faster. The only argument that I would possibly buy is that the car is actually faster, but the strategy is so poorly bungled that it ruins it. But I don't think that's really what's happening here. It's just, it's not as good. If it can't get into the window or it can't not melt, then it's not faster. <laughs> if it can't not melt. Genius. Yes, exactly. They they haven't had the issue that, you know, like Mercedes where they screwed up the safety car window in Australia last year. They haven't had things like that. They haven't had their lead driver drive off the track in the, in the lead of the race into a wall at his home race. They haven't had stuff like that happen. The, the losses that they have had have been purely based on pace and then reliability. And you can't say you have a better car if that's the case. So there you go. I think I've I won. Finally. Yay. Let's play a game. Oh, fine. There's more. Fine. You people can say more things. Last po- quick point. It is possible that if Leclerc had not crashed in turn eight in qualifying, that he may have gone on to win the race. You know, you should have led with that point, Matt. He's made it your case for you. Ferrari are faster despite not having won a race in four races because of reasons. Why didn't I think of that? The only thing I would say in response, since clearly one is now called for, I've been trying to hold my tongue. <laughs> no, you I haven't. shall no longer do this thing. The only thing I would say is, first of all, let's look and see what happens with Barcelona, because that's clearly where the rest of the Ferrari update is going to arrive. So let's see how they've been able to correct their course over the first four races. And as I pointed out, it's only four races. There's ample opportunity for Mercedes to get it wrong and Ferrari to get it right thus far. Okay, can I can I say that I am already massively irritated for the first time when Ferrari do string a weekend together because it'll be Mercedes win, but Ferrari faster, Mercedes win, but Ferrari faster for four or five or six races. Then as soon as Ferrari win a race, you're going to come on here and go, see, I told you, I told you they were faster. So can I just say that I am annoyed in advance? Oh, well, I wasn't going to do that, but thanks for the tip. (laughs) You definitely are. Uh, You definitely are now. Let's play a game. Whose fault is it? The game is called Whose Fault Is It? When I do this on my radio show, I do Whose Fault Is It? with domestic arguments with my wife. I will take genuine, real arguments I'm having with my wife, and I will get my listeners live on air to to decide who's to blame. Uh, Most recently... My wife put a a, a, a a pan that she'd been making spaghetti bolognese in, like a big, like a wokey frying pan thing, with the spoon. She put it in the oven to hide it from the cats. Now, the oven was cold, but she was just hiding it from the cats. Perfectly reasonable. And then we ate our spaghetti bolognese. She then went to the Isle of Wight, leaving that spaghetti bolognese in its pan in the oven. I went to cook my next meal, just whacked the oven onto preheat, completely melted the handle, melted the plastic spoon, completely just charcoaled all of the uh, the bolognese. And we had a great time deciding whose fault that was. Entirely her fault. Who who checks the oven before they turn it on? You no one. Sh- stuff in the oven to hide from the cats, you throw it away. Sorry. Entirely, entirely her fault, not yours. Yeah, Mrs. Spanners. I was just going to say it's a good thing you didn't help hit the self-clean option on the oven instead. 
that would not posh really enough to have that kind of option. Do not have that. Do not have that option. But anyway, this is relevant to the show because that's what we do here. We don't have no blame situations. So throughout the season, when cars collide, we won't ever go, "Oh, that was just a racing incident. Oh, don't bother about it." No, we must assign blame immediately. And here today, we only have two. I didn't really catch the Hamilton versus K-Mag one. Although I will say, Jeansy, I don't think they made contact. I think the sparks were just well-timed that made it look like they made contact. Uh, there was some wobble from Lewis's front wings. I think they did. Um, it's completely K-Mag's fault. It was the most exciting thing K-Mag did all weekend. It was the most exciting thing Haas did all weekend. Apart from Grosjean did have a nice little pirouette during the race. Um Lewis is coming. Lewis is the quicker car coming past in practice, and K Mag swerves across the track to sort of tell Lewis not to have a go. Slows down more so Lewis gets alongside, and then chops his nose off. Lewis, if we're talking about the lane system, which I know we love to talk about, um, Lewis had a nose in. Lewis had a nose in, and K Mag tries to chop it off. Completely K-Mag's fault. In but pra- to be fair, when he, get, when he gets involved in, a, in an accident, it's always K-Mag's fault. It's in, in practice as well. I love Kevin Magnussen, but he is like proper... He's just got like this war mode constantly engaged, doesn't he? Like completely unnecessary as well. And were they both even on a hot lap, Matt? I, I don't even know. But to me, this is this thing where you're walking down the sidewalk and someone is walking towards you and you're walking in exactly the same lane. So you decide, I'm going to step to the right. And they step to their left. And you're like, oh, pardon me. Let me go the opposite direction. And they do the same thing. And then you run into each other. And you're just, <laughs> you it's all kinds that? of awkward. It was such an obvious misunderstanding about what both parties were going to constantly do. that It's hard for me to assign blame. But that said, Lewis was overtaking. And he didn't quite obviously communicate clearly enough to Magnuson. <laughs> I am going there. You need to stay out of my way. And thus... I will put it a tiny bit on his side, but only for the sake of, well, somebody's got to argue Magnuson's side, right? Nick, you're a German speaker, aren't you? There must be a German word for that moment you're passing another pedestrian and you both pick the same way and then pick the same way again, then stop and laugh about it. Yeah. And and, and one of you inevitably says, shall we dance? You're probably right. I don't know what that word is, but there does seem to be odd specificity with the German language. There should be a German word for that feeling of approaching a red light, but before you actually slow down, it starts to change uh, to the green cycle and you don't actually have to slow down at all. And you're like, yes, and you can just carry on through. Uh, sorry, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. Who's you know, you know K-Mag's not German, right? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just obsessed. <laughs> I'm just obsessed with the German language. It's fantastic. Entschuldigung bitte. Right. The next whose fault is this was just bizarre. Daniel Ricciardo versus uh, Danny Kvyat. Where is your head at, Ricciardo? Like, okay, let's just describe the incident, shall we, Matt? It's the uh, he he locks up. Is it, was it turn three? Yeah, I, I I think it was. I think it was turn three. He just it was was one of his classic dive bombs, and it would have been brilliant had he still been driving a Red Bull. <laughs> As it was, he was in a Renault with dodgy brakes. <laughs> you can see his arm. He's like 90 degrees on the wheel. And the car is just, it's its like the time Top Gear demonstrated overseer with a voxel. <laughs> the car just went straight, straight on right in front of poor Fiat, who was a bit nonplussed and was also taken into the runoff area. 
behind him oh, because yeah. he could no longer complete his turn because Ricciardo yeah. just went blazing straight through. I loved it from Kvyat's point of view. It's like, I am going to turn now. Oh, there is an Australian to the left of me. I can no longer turn. Ah, the Australian has gone. I will continue turning. Ah, no, there's a, a bit of barrier there. Now I have to just stop. And he's sitting there minding his own business when <laughs> Ricciardo just reverses all the way back straight into him. I mean, I, I have reversed into stuff before in a road car. Uh, I once reversed into a wall and it was edge on. It was just in my blind spot. And it's a sickening feeling when you're reversing and then the car suddenly stops. You're like, uh-oh, don't be a body. Please don't be a body. <laughs> you must have been thinking, don't be a marshal. Please don't be a marshal. I did that in a relatively new company car after I just got it. I, yeah, that, that, it is the most horrible feeling because you get out and you, you go to look at the back of the car. You're like, please don't be too much. Oh, oh it's, there, it was. It's, <laughs> it's going to cost me a lot of money. It's a whole Toro Rosso hanging off of the back of my car. But, you know, standing still, you would have thought he'd been able to look in his mirrors and see a vehicle there. He's he's had a complete no-brainer. I mean, what if it wasn't a car there? That car has probably saved him from just mindlessly reversing onto the track. Matt? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I saw an interview with him after the race, and he had thought that Fiat was able to carry on unimpeded. So he didn't even check his mirrors. Now, I don't know when they taught you how to drive, but they sure beat that into my skull with a heavy wooden stick. Look in the mirror before you go backwards. I didn't see that interview. So he's saying he didn't even look in the mirror. It was turn three, the second heaviest breaking point on the circuit. And he did look behind him to think, oh, there might be other Formula One cars coming because it's not the A1 on a Sunday afternoon. If, if you notice Van Gene's volume going up and down there, it's just he got so excited and started moving around so much, I thought I'd best jump on the fader to save Sorry. all of our ears. No, but it was a really, it was a genuinely like hilarious situation. It is. A- I, think, I, think, I think Danny Rick is struggling because he's so used to such good breaks and it's, it's, his, it's his forte. Uh, you know, it's his, it's, it's his mantle. He's, he's the guy who's late on the brakes and he can't seem to do that. And it does look like the Renault has struggled with its brakes all weekend. Yeah. But, uh, uh, sorry, Nick, I just go to you for all German drivers. He, he was well ahead of Hulkenberg, who was struggling. Remember, this is Hulkenberg who was running in a podium position one or two seasons ago here at Baku. Was he? Yeah. He was um, running in a podium position and then he hit the wall in the castle section. What I definitely remember uh, is talking with Trumpets. I've been on every race review so far this season because Mercedes has had a one-two every race this season. Oh, if Ferrari win, you're not coming on. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, I said it would be interesting to see how Hulk and Rick compare over the course of the season. And Matt made this ridiculous assertion that to really get an understanding of of whether Hulk can beat uh, Ricciardo, I think he said he had to do it like three years in a row. I'm no, I'm definitely putting words in his mouth, but I feel like uh, Matt, shouldn't you be arguing that it's not Ricciardo's fault in this incident because you know he's still getting used to the car? If you really want me to make that argument as to it's not being his fault, you, know, you got to give me a second now to come up with something really creative, clever, and modestly amusing. Well, while you do that, because I think it's going to take you a long, long time, and we are running quite long. The race is when nothing happens. We talk about much more. I think we get we get into the detail. We have a nice catch up, don't we? Uh, Formula B, Perez, best of the rest, holding off Lando Norris. He's good at defending. He's good at maximizing the potential on race day. 
that that is what he does, Matt. And this is another example. I think this best of the rest win is up there with a lot of his podiums. Yeah, it was an excellent drive, start to finish. He got ahead of her, stopping at the beginning. That helped him out later on when McLaren was trying to make the charge. And then um, Norris' late stop under the safety car wound up that he wasn't able to switch the tires on. So he wound up losing a place to signs and not being able to make a run at Perez. And that effectively sealed him in P6, which if you're Formula B, that's about one spot better than you normally expect to be able to do. Did you fit, Did you think of your clever and witty point yet? Or shall I move on to the next topic? Because yeah, I want to stick with Renault for a second. Let, uh, let, I think... Let, let, let me let me let me use Jeansy as my my dummy because I know you don't like read stuff or like look things up or research. If I ask you right now, tell me who is uh, outside of the top three. So who is in fourth place in the championship right now? Can can you guess? Um, Max, isn't it? I oh, know is Max third team. Which team? Oh, which team? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, McLaren. Of yeah, McLaren are in Boom. fourth Don't try and place. catch me out on that. Okay, but here we I go, here we that. go, here we go. <laughs> who Who is above Renault out of those midfield teams? Uh, Salba and Toro Rosso. Alpha, they, they call themselves these days. That one as well. <laughs> Racing Point mm-hmm. and McLaren are all above Renault after four Racing races. Racing Point, of course. That team's yeah. got Stroll in it. Yeah, so with with one driver, with one driver, <laughs> I instantly think they're lower because Stroll's in the team. So with one driver, his racing pointer ahead of Renault. Renault are just having an absolute shocker. And do you know, do you remember last week or the last race review, I said I don't know if we've got any French listeners, but apologies to them. Got quite a few responses from French listeners going, "Yes, I am a French listener, but but don't worry, we also hate Renault." I'm I'm gutted for Renault because it's not Renault that I like; it's the Endstone team that I like. That yeah. is a championship-winning team. They, that team and that business knows how to build a Formula One car and how to how to win races and championships. And they're just not coming up with the goods at the moment. And I'm I am clutching it in two or three years' time. They will be at the front, but this year they've gone backwards. And and I think there was a really good picture of Danny Ricciardo with his hat, hat, hand head in his hands. Um, after the incident and in the pits because he's just like, what the heck have I done? <laughs> um, but would he be doing any better? You know, w- would he be any better than fourth or fifth in the Red Bull anyway? So what difference does it make? It's a bit like what Fernando said, which is if I'm not winning, I'm not winning. He'd be ahead of, he'd be ahead of Gasly. I'm, I'm going to go out on a, on a limb here and say Albon is going to win a race before Pierre Gasly. I don't think. But Gasly did well this weekend. I don't think it matters. He now. was, he was quicker. He was quickest in Q2. He um, had a fantastic race until the car died on him. He also violated fuel flow restrictions in qualifying. So, well, and he also hey. missed. He he also missed a Weybridge, which yeah. is nobody's fault that, but his own. I, I, I mean, you're just not looking at a traffic signal. It is. It is his fault. However, I will back him up a little bit because they were going to do a race stop, a race pit stop test so he wouldn't have been thinking about anything else apart from getting the car in the right mode to go and do a setup i think the calling drivers in for the way bridge i think the procedure is not good enough to have a little board flash up quickly as they're coming yeah. into the pits i don't think is good enough there needs to be a man with a flag and a board pointing them in they have radios for crying out loud why can't there be a radio message as they enter the pit lane to go dazzling going into going to the way bridge? um 
I don't, I got pulled I, over for running a red light, but, but I was changing the radio station. So I'm it's different. You're driving on the road, driving on the record. This is slightly different. Um, but the penalty in itself is very harsh. The problem was the stewards had no other rule, no other um, penalty to give him other than to kick him out of qualifying um, or make him start for the pit lane. Was that the rule? Yeah, make him start for the pit lane. It's a it's a BS rule that shouldn't be around, and um, it's actually one of the rules they're looking at changing. But it is there, and so you have to know that as a driver, and you have to know I really can't miss the way bridge because oh, there's this re- for their pit lane violation as well. Who? No, let's move on. Uh, the <laughs> chat room has pointed out uh, there are several drivers in the midfield who, if they were teams, would still be ahead of Renault. Kimi Raikkonen and Sergio Perez would both be above Renault by themselves. And uh, there's one more as well. Lando Norris is above Renault. In Team Norris is above Renault. That is painful. Uh, for their sake, I hope they can turn it around. Let's move on to the podium, guys. Yep. Baku, Azerbaijan 2019 wasn't the most thrilling race in F1 history. What? You want every race to be Bahrain? Oh, you're so spoilt, you lot are. You want the moon on a stick. That's what you want. We are going to have some thrilling races in this season. And we already have done. We've got nothing to complain about. Lack of overtakes here. But hey, Barcelona's up next. Barcelona all always. Um, uh, anyway, awards. Thing of the weekend. Uh, let's roll through these relatively quickly. Matt Trumpets, do you have a thing to give thing of the weekend this weekend? Yes, it has to be the first lap battles of Botas and Hamilton, which was very exciting, extremely professionally executed, and fun to watch. Uh, let's see. Nick Alexander, do you have a thing of the weekend? Checo. Sergio Perez. I'm telling you guys, he, he, is, he is probably center level if not Hamilton-level goodness. Don't you agree, Jeansy? He's just fantastic. would really help if I have muted my mic. Oh, see, if uh, you had just started talking, no, I wouldn't, I know, I wouldn't I, have I, had to edit that. Now I have to edit it. Not, Thanks a lot. A mi- it's not a missed Apex podcast if I don't make an audio error. So I'll, I'll give that to the listeners. Yeah, um, just one. Fine. Yeah, just one. Fine. So the one before I'm the live recording starts doesn't count. Fine, fine I'm leaving um, it in. What, what, uh, um, Perez, amazing. Senna level. <laughs> Perez did very well but he does well in these situations he's he's the master of of getting the maximum out of the midfield um, but he was put into a top flight team and didn't show off quite so well but let's not go talk about the past both those two have nicked my thing of the weekend so I'm going to talk about my tweet my tweet hit 70,000 people that's my thing of the weekend I posted a tweet this week about um, about um, Leclerc's car telling him to stay positive and I have 70,000 impressions. Oh, that's so sweet. That's nearly it half awesome. as much as my Leclerc tweet from uh, the Chinese government. No one cares about you, Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, it certainly was a message to keep his mental state up and not a reference to the Delta that was probably on the dashboard while he was driving. Definitely. Uh, so you haven't got a thing of the weekend. My thing of the weekend is going to be Mercedes as a unit as an outfit, absolutely smashing in it. Let's say that those cars are around about equal with Mercedes having an edge. Gene Z, I think you could swap the personnel. I think you could swap the whole garage and dri- um, drivers and cars around and 
the Mercedes drivers would climb into those Ferraris, the Mercedes strategists would strategize around the red cars, and they would still win. They are a well-oiled team with with very typical German efficiency. It's been an absolute masterclass from them, especially because going into qualifying, Toto Wolf was like, we haven't got a chance. There's no magical silver bullet. Well, um, I think Ferrari is a werewolf, and Toto definitely got his silver bullet out. <laughs> And took a shot at those Ferraris. Yeah, Toto, no one, no one trusts you anymore, like, at all. Trumpets? Uh, no, I was just, I was about to go, but I have a thing of the weekend, but then I realized I already had a thing of the weekend. So I'm waiting for missing the apex. That's you know what, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you two. If you want two things of the weekend, Matt, just to save face, then you go ahead. Well, if I had to pick another thing of the weekend, it would absolutely be George Russell hitting that manhole cover because, boy, was that ever entertaining. <laughs> yes, and frightening as well. Let's do the bad one then. Oh, no, you missed the apex. That's Treeface saying you missed the apex. Who missed the apex for you, Jeansy? Danny Rick literally missed the apex. And then reversed it. <laughs> I can't get over it. Like, I it don't... was just the funniest thing. I saw a picture posted somewhere where it just shows the screen on Danny Rick's car and it's got a parking camera on the back of it. It was brilliant. They have nicknamed him Ricky Reverse in the chat room. Oh dear. And the thing is, when you do that many things wrong and you kind of you kind of just think, dude, just 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 stop. Just pull over, like just pull over and retire. Once, once you career off into the runoff and then reverse into another car, just finish. And he did. He did. He retired. And I was like, "There's nothing wrong with that car." He's just gone. Nah, it's not my day. Did Did you see how much damage he did to Fiat's mm. car? Literally destroyed the floor. Oh, I mean, I'm a massive Danny fan, but oh, Danny, what are you doing? What are you doing, mate? Nick, uh, did you have a comment on that? And also, what missed the apex for you? I don't have a comment on that, but Alfa Romeo missed the apex for me. They seemed like they had pace all through practice. Uh, we're hitting crazy speeds in the speed traps. Uh, and then, you know, broke a technical regulation about a front wing and their one driver had to start from the pit lane. Uh, and the other guy didn't do anything and, uh, they got one point, but, um, would have expected them to beat the McLarens actually. So it's interesting, Giovinazzi made Q3, but he had a 10-place penalty. And then Raikkonen was forced to start from the pit lane. So getting one point actually was not a bad result for them. But no more warnings from Charlie Whiting, apparently, because now it's a crackdown. Apparently, for these kinds of infractions in the past... I think it's very sweet that you've referred to race control as Charlie Whiting. However, I'm assuming someone else is in charge at the moment. Well, this is what I'm saying. In the past... Charlie Whiting would oftentimes, for a minuscule infraction, give the team a warning and a week or a race to correct it. But that is no longer the policy with the new race control. We didn't bring it up early in the show, but I saw a chance to wedge it in there, so I thought I would. He he really was a a presence in race control that we've just synonymously swapped race control for his name. Do we even know the name of the new? man or woman who is doing this role i'm more than happy for for charlie to be just what you call race control i think that makes perfect sense and let's just let i'm in favor yep um i do have a missed apex from the chat room with don burn which is the sofa in the green room did you see 
that hideous, disgusting thing that they stuck in the green room. It was awful. So well supported, Don Burn. Uh, okay, then. Uh, I don't have a missed apex. I'm super positive. Uh, and uh, Matt wants another one, does he? I didn't have one to begin with. I, I want know. my one and Such no a mess. more, please. Go on, then. Come on, then. That would be the exquisitely horrible performance of F1 TV Pro this weekend. They broke it all weekend long, and it never got any better. I don't complain about it much because mostly it kind of works, but yeah, just, oh my, oh my, oh my. Is, is that your oh, only way you media. can watch it? Is that the only way you yeah. can watch it? It is. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You might have to find some kind of other method for watching it, but yeah, I've heard loads of complaints about that, but basically it was working fine. Then they hit go on the race and it just started Bang. completely yeah. going downhill. That's just like Ferrari, isn't it? Ooh. Too soon. <laughs> Nick's right there. Oh, my God. Why don't you just kiss his wife as well? Hi, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, one more award to give out. Are we doing a pony? Anyone got a pony? Oh, you have. Hang on. Well, I need to press the button. Button's not working. Um, you're just going to have to tell me who gets the pony award for uh, petulant radio chatter. It's got to be Charlotte Claire. Oh, I'm an idiot. I made a mistake. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. And then goes all over Twitter. Sorry. Pony boy goes to... Um, hot star who's going to be a champion one day but was a bit didn't cover himself who didn't cover himself in glory this weekend yeah agreed he's got he's got a lot of races ahead of him though i'll tell you what though matt let's give an award out to our lovely chat room and you, know, you can join the chat room by going to youtube and searching for missed apex podcast and you can see our little faces and you can type along and be part of the show but we give an award to the chat room so matt who's won this week's comment of the week Oh, no, look, Jeansy, you cannot mouth along to my wife singing because now I've got a horrible image. I've got her voice and your horrible face, which uh, usually only reminds me of the fact that I've not seen OMD uh, singing any songs for a long time. You don't know OMD? They never see you and the lead singer of OMD in the same place at the same time. How bizarre. How bizarre. Who are the nominees for comment of the week, Matt Trumpets? We are going to go back to uh, Michael Dieselhoff. That's so unfair. Lance is just as good as Perez. It's just a few corners he's worse at. <laughs> okay, that's pretty funny. That's a pretty good one. Uh, Stuart Neal with, I thought, Haas and Alpha were there when Ferrari needed a safety car. So what happened? Yeah, I was wondering if we were going to see a Singapore 2008 where suddenly I said, if a Haas bins it into a barrier and causes a safety car, I'm calling BS. Heck, Yanomi666, the Toro in your mirror is closer than it appears. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yes. I know. It's really good crap this week. And finally, our old friend Evangelos Heteroclitos, Renault have found a new gear in car evolution, the reverse. <laughs> the reverse. It's got to be one of the reverse related ones because it's just the funniest thing that's happened in F1 for a while. Well, then it's got to be reverse. It's got to be Evangelos. So there you go. Congratulations, Evangelos Eroclitus. You have won this week's Comment of the Week. Thanks very much for joining us at Missed Apex. Find all the information about the show at MissedApexPodcast.com. Nick Alexander has a book review where I would say a majority of the people have read the book, and it's called What's It About Podcast? That is all correct. You yes. got it this time. Fourth time is the charm. Uh, and, and you can it, check it out 
at what's it about podcast.com. He also obnoxiously calls himself at Nick Alexander F1 on Twitter, I think. Hey, I don't use any underscores. No, I don't think that's obnoxious. Adding, that should like, pass your standard. Adding F1, like you're all about F1. Like, I mean, it's just a bit, it's a bit much, isn't it? It's a bit underscorey, isn't it? That follow Missed Apex podcaster at Missed Apex F1. Damn, the argument has instantly unwound itself. Uh, Matt is at Matt Pet- Matt PT55. He doesn't care about you following him. He wants you to follow his wife around at A Weaver Writes because she writes mucky books and he would like you to buy them so that he can have a Ferrari and retire. Alex Van Jean has one viral tweet and that's the sum total of his life achievements. But you can search for Alex Van Jean and you will find him because there are no other. Alex Van Jean is a, a unique name. It's it's the power of a Will Buxton retweet. All <laughs> oh, right, I see. <laughs> I suppose being friends with Will Buxton is kind of cheating, so you can't even you can't even claim a victory there, guys. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> you've been listening to Missed Apex. You can follow me at Spanners Ready. I hope you do. Consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We'll be in with a midweek quiz, I believe, and then a new show next Sunday, and then we'll be off to Barcelona at some point. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. I'm gutted we didn't get to talk about the casting. And my, and my. It's like it's like you don't care about my outro music at all. <laughs> it went, it went in my headphones. It's like you're you trying to hurt me. We had a we had a whole show talking about cutting, and also I don't want to talk about the cutting before it until the video of the highlights is out, which it should be midweek, and then the next podcast we'll give it a proper plug. Are we going to do race in sixty? Hey Matt, you know what we've not done? We've not done your race in sixty seconds. Lights out! Hamilton and Botas. Botas defends. Toto sweats. Botas P1. Perez gets Verstappen. Stroll to P9. Verstappen gets Perez. Raikkonen pits. Lap 7. K-Mag and Giovinazzi pits. Vettel pits. Botas pits. Hamilton pits. Verstappen pits. Leclerc P1. Grosjean off. Botas on Leclerc. Botas P1. Ricardo on Kvyat. Ricardo gets Kvyat. Into the runoff lane where he reverses into him. Hamilton on Leclerc. Hamilton pass. Vettel on Leclerc. Vettel pass. Leclerc pits. Gasly stops virtual safety car. Grosjean retires. Restart. Hamilton chases Botas. Hamilton DRS Botas. Hamilton not DRS Botas. Checkers. Botas wins. Perez P6. Williams finished. The race, that is. They finished the race. Oh, you missed the apex. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.